right, well, if you'll open with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2, we're going to read the Christmas story this morning. Luke, chapter 2, and the kids will be with us this morning by God's grace, so we want to pray for patience, and I hope they're loud. It means they're in here, and we're grateful for that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. The greatest gift outside of time, space, all power, all things held in his hands, all things consist through him, Lord, and yet he came as a child, as a babe, Lord. And we just pray that you would continue to be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 7 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus, Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, to the city of David, which was, is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, so let's bore the kids for just a minute. But we see first and foremost Caesar Augustus. That's His real name's Octavian. And what's so neat about these passages is that it places it in a specific time in history, like we were talking about last night. This is no myth. This is no story, no legend. You can place them exactly in a particular place, in a particular time, under a certain government. And the neat thing about Octavius is that he is Julius Caesar's adopted son and heir. So Julius Caesar took Octavius. He raised him as his own. And when Julius Caesar passed away, brutally, when he passed away, the kingdom was split. The empire of Rome was split by three different people. And for 12 years, there was a civil war. And this little thing happened. You may have heard about it, you history nerds out there, or those that enjoyed 1950s movies, where Cleopatra, and who was with Cleopatra? I forgot. Mark Antony. There it is, right in the notes. Mark Antony and Cleopatra had this huge army that came out of Egypt, and Octavian, he defeated them in battle. And so now he has changed his name to Caesar Augustus, the great one, and he is in charge of all of the Roman Empire for the first time in 12 years. There's no doubt that he's the boss. But you've had 12 years of civil war, and so now he has to reestablish the kingdom, the, the empire. He has to start rebuilding. Uh, fortunately, again, for you history nerds, Egypt was super rich, and he's going to take all that gold out of Egypt, and he's going to rebuild the Roman Empire. But before he can do that, he needs to make a census. He needs to know where everything is. He needs to see where these funds need to go so that he, all the way in Rome, can start rebuilding this empire. And I just love the contrast of this because historically it is perfectly accurate. But the king of kings, God himself, is using the emperor of the known world, Caesar Augustus, as a pawn 
in his own gain. See, the Lord has something greater than the greatest empire that has ever existed on the face of this planet. And it's going to come through a poor boy in a poor family of a carpenter's son in the outskirts of the empire, in the dusty deserts of Israel, Jesus Christ. And all that's found in just the first seven verses. And not only do we see that, this this person, this, this human being who's the son of man and the son of God, who's fulfilling these prophecies that are millennia old, this king of kings, this lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha, the Omega, who in Colossians chapter 1 tells us through him all things consist that exist. When he's born, it says there, when it says they're putting in swaddling cloths in the Greek, it means rip, rip fabric. He's literally wrapped in like leftover shirts. And then he's put in a manger. And we think of mangers, we think of something beautiful. My grandparents just sent me a picture. They have this uh, nativity scene. They put it out every year. I remember playing with it as a kid. I mean, it's really old and super cool. I remember playing with little baby Jesus in there. And it looks super beautiful. But that's not what a manger is. A manger is a feeding trough. When you're driving around and you go by Hardifield and you, you might see some cows or some sheep out there and you see that bucket where they throw the slop, where they throw the, the grain, the hay, they wrapped the Lord of Lords in leftover cloth and they placed him in a feeding trough. That was his bassinet. That's where he slept. Meanwhile, Octa- uh, Octavian, Caesar Augustus is in the grandest, biggest palace in the planet in Rome. And he's nothing compared to that child. Nothing. Amazing. God reveals his plan. He shows his power, and yet he shows his humility. And now let's read verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Unfortunately, Hollywood has really, really messed this one up. And a lot of Christmas carols have kind of messed this one up. You know, those shepherds out there, they are the lowest rung of society. You know, it's not really true, but in our mind, you may think of a used car salesman. Or you might think of a dishwasher in a restaurant. You know, it's not even good that our culture would look at those positions with such disdain because they're honorable, hardworking jobs. But that's how shepherds were looked at, like the lowest of the lowest of the low. And then I want you to think of an angel. You know, when we think about an angel, we're also kind of wired wrong. You know, we think of uh, something, you know, glowing in the sky with a harp and some wings or something, maybe with a halo. Maybe you watch that old show from the 90s, touched by an angel, and you think it's some lady with a glow behind her head or something. That's not an angel. 
An angel is a created being of God that is so powerful. One angel wipes out an Assyrian army in one night by himself. An angel, you know, like the one that visited Egypt, the 10th plague, wiped out all the firstborn sons in one night. Every time an angel is mentioned in Scripture, everyone bows in fear and reverence. An angel, an all-powerful, I shouldn't say all-powerful, that's incorrect, a very powerful being from outside of time and space that is able to go into the spiritual realm to appear and disappear. And it shows up to who? The dishwasher. To the used cars mill. Wouldn't you go to the king's? Wouldn't you go to the temples right down the road there in Israel, in Jerusalem? Why, don't, why in Bethlehem? Why these guys? Again, the, the Lord is showing himself. And Jesus is already beginning to show the message of who the God the Father is. And so this angel, this very powerful created being, shows up to the shepherds and says, Boy, do I have news for you. And he begins to tell them, You're going to see the King of Kings, the Messiah the, pro- the prophesied one. You know, when we read this and we hear, and this will be the sign to you, who is Christ the Lord, the end of verse 11. We say, oh, you know, Christ the Lord. Okay, yeah, the guy on the Christmas card. No, this is the anointed one of God, the Lord of all creation. Oh, where is he? I'm waiting for the parade. Well, this is the sign. An infant child in rags in a feeding trough. That's the King of Kings, the anointed one of God. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. God is using the meek things, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. If I were in charge of the Lord's arrival plans, he would be going down the main causeway in Rome. It would be the grand host of angels and the armies of God bringing the child descending from heaven. I mean, it would be extravagant. It would be powerful. And everyone, whoa, but not our Lord. Our Lord wants to reveal himself through the foolish, weakest, smallest things, the cast off, the castaways, the never was, never will be. That's who the Lord wants to reveal himself through. Of who I am one. See, the Lord is no respecter of person like we are. You know, if a VIP came in here, a very important person, we'd all be looking and, oh, does he see me? Oh, man, can I get a signature? But I, I want to do it in a way that I kind of look good while I'm doing it. Not the Lord. He doesn't care. The Lord doesn't care one bit about privilege or position. He doesn't care about finances, about bank accounts. He cares about every soul of every human being. That has ever lived. And he shows us the way. Well, just in case we really didn't get it, what do we see there in verse 13? And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. What did this sound like? What language were they singing in? I mean, right here it's obviously New King James 1980s English. I, I don't know. Aramaic? Heavenly angel? Was it every language, but they could hear it in their own? I have no idea. But what is a sound? Imagine the sky opens up and you're seeing the spiritual realm. 
and you're hearing the most beautiful words ever spoken, and they're singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men, just to reveal who Jesus really is. And who gets this? Who gets this show? The kings? The riches? The priests? The shepherds. And nobody's going to know. And except for them telling everyone, nobody knows what it was like but them. Incredible. You know, occasionally the Lord will reveal himself to you. Personally, when you're in the word of God, when you're in worship, you know what I'm talking about. Just that, that private Still small voice that speaks to you and you're like, wow, what was that? That was special. And you're trying to explain it to somebody and you're like, they're like looking at you like, is this person crazy? Did they make this up? I mean, I know them. They're a little off their rocker, so they're probably just exaggerating a bit. But who knows? You do. You do. Because the Lord is like that. He shows his glory. He reveals his grace to the weakest and the most foolish. And that's it, just like that. The heavens are closed back up. The angels disappear. It's just the shepherds. What do they do with it? Verses 15 through 20. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told by them, told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I wonder, did anybody believe them? Like if you had the dishwasher from the local restaurant come out here and he's just like frantic. Let me tell you what I heard. Let me tell you what I saw. What would you think? You know, he's still in his he's still in his white schmuck. You know, I think about what do they call the overalls? You know, I'm, I'm envisioning like I see on TV, you know, like what it what a dishwasher looks like. And so the food stains are all over them from cleaning the kitchen. They just left. They just left the dishes there and they're just going around telling everybody this crazy story. What would you think? I know what I would think. Keep that guy away from my kids. Keep that guy away from the church. That's just too crazy. That's not, no, no. But that's who the Lord uses as his messenger at this time. These shepherds. Do you think the shepherds, did they just leave the animals out there? I think they did. I think that this is so crazy. It says they left with haste to Mary. I think they literally dropped their staffs and their rods. Whatever they were doing was not important anymore when they see the hosts of heaven singing and they immediately go to find this child. And where is the king of kings? In the feeding trough, in the rags. They just had angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts singing this praise and these shepherds go and find them and they're just frantic. They're just telling anyone who will listen what has happened, what they heard, what they saw, what it was like. I don't think anybody's believing them except for Joseph and Mary because Mary saw an angel. Mary's heard the news. Joseph knows what's going on. He's seen an angel. They know what's happening and they're just holding it in their heart. They're just marveling. What? What? 
This is incredible. Sign after sign after sign of who this child is. Now the angels start the message. The gospel is given to the angels first. They're the ones that declare, this is the Christ. This is the Lord. But then who gets the message after that? The Lord gives it to the shepherds. He's giving it to you and me, this gospel message. Of course nobody's going to believe us. Look at us. I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror and I'm like, who believes this guy? Nobody's smart. This is the vessel that God wants to use, and you are the vessel that God wants to use to go and share this message to the world. He can use angels. He can use the heavenly hosts. He can use prophets. He can use the smartest, the wisest, but he has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's chosen you and I to carry the gospel to the whole world, to share this message that this child, this meek one, is the king of kings. He is the essence of God the Father. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know God, you go through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And he chooses you and me to share that message. It's nonsense. It's foolishness to the world. It's a stumbling block to many. What Paul said. And then what did Paul finish off when he said that? He said, but I preach Christ crucified. I teach and preach the message of Jesus Christ, the express image of God the Father, God in the flesh who gave himself as a ransom for many. And Mary, Mary is pondering these things in her heart. As a Protestant, that means as a protester against the, the church of Catholicism, those of us that are not in the Catholic Church, we find ourselves going too far in the other extreme of not even talking about Mary at all. You know, Mary is not just a regular person. She's not a co-redemptress. She's not a perpetual virgin. She's not to be prayed to. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But she is a holy and unique individual that God supernaturally and divinely chose to be the mother of Christ. And I just can't even imagine what that is like for her to deliver this child, to be holding this baby. And those of you that have kids or been around kids, you've seen a mom holding her child. That is a look. You can't replicate that when a mother's looking at her child. But this child is the king of kings. This child, an angel has come and told her that this is from God. This child has been immaculately conceived by a virgin. I can't even imagine. And she's just pondering these things in her heart. She's just thinking. She's just thinking, what? What is that like? Have you ever thought, what was that like when Mary died? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Mary enters the kingdom. What is that like when Jesus welcomes Mary home? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. She is a special and unique individual, and she's pondering these things in her heart, just like you're pondering them right now. Man, I can't wait for this guy to get over with. I got some ham. Oh, my gosh, can he just continue on and on and on? The kids had me up at 5 a.m. I just want to go home and take a nap. 
Or some of you are thinking, man, this is pretty incredible. There might be, there might be something to this. And some of you might be thinking, the Lord is tugging on your, on your heart. Wow, the Lord's speaking to me today. Wow, he's sharing with me something. He's giving me a message. Well, just like these shepherds and just like these angels and just like the wise men that will come later and just like the angels that came to Mary and to Joseph, that's not my problem. My job is to proclaim the message and what you do with it is up to you. And as Mary's pondering these things in her heart, we will see in the scriptures that she will raise Jesus probably alone for a, a large portion of his life. We don't know. And then we see that Jesus will be teaching her as he gets older. And there's great mysteries there that we don't know. But the truth is that all of heaven declares that this child who was born of a virgin is the Messiah. And that if we believe on him with our hearts and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. I pray that you ponder these things as well. Well, you would think that's enough, right? But wait, there's more. Verses 21 through 24. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by an angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves for two young pigeons. So eight days have passed. What are these eight days like? We have no idea. Incredible. Mary is nursing the Son of God. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in. I remember when my oldest was born, Mark. Megan was so mad at me. You know, you hold him like this. If you don't hold him like this, his, his neck is going to break and he's going to die. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Can I even touch him? Like, how does this work? He's so fragile. And you had to hold him a certain way and you had to feed him. And I remember being so terrified because if you know our story, you know, we had, we had some children went to the kingdom before he was born. I remember getting up like every hour and he was so quiet. So I'd go over to the bassinet and I'd just, okay, he's breathing. Okay, we're good. Checking on him. Imagine the burden of raising the son of God. Does Mary even sleep for eight days? Like what is Joseph doing? Are they just like watching him in amazement? Like what's coming next? I've seen angels. I've seen shepherds come. I've seen, well, what's the deal? In the womb, he's kicking, worshiping God. I can't even imagine what that's like. But then they realize they're a regular family. So they got to do what regular families do. They got to go down to the temple. They got to have circumcision on the eighth day. They got to be obedient to the law of Moses. And they're, they're a regular family just like we are. But you guys all know they're not just a regular family. <laughs> because Jesus is already taking the burdens of the sins of mankind. What, what do I mean by that? The circumcision, the cutting of the foreskin of the flesh is a sign that sin costs us. And that we have to take a portion of the flesh for sin. 
and, but Jesus is never going to sin, ever. In his entire life, he's never going to st- put his hand in the cookie jar. He's never going to lie to the teacher. He's never going to sneak out in the middle of the night. He's going to be a perfect, sinless child. And yet he's already taking the marks. And he's already taking the symbols of that sin. That, that covenant of Adam that he's going to conquer on the cross. And give us the age of grace. And remember, he was put in that manger, in that feeding trough, and wrapped in those swaddling cloths. And now he's going to the temple. And what offering is going to be made for this firstborn son? In Leviticus chapter 12, it tells us that there's different levels of gifts that you can give, of these offerings to God. And the very lowest one for the poorest family is a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what they give. Joseph is so poor that he gives the smallest offering. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. People think exactly the same way today. So if you got your quinceanera or you got your engagement party or your engagement ring, do you want the cheapest engagement ring, ladies? You're okay with a little piece of twine there? You know, going to work and be like, oh, look what he got me. No, nothing's new. So Families would overstretch their budget to try and look good on these offerings. They would get the biggest offering they could because you don't want to show the world that you're poor. I mean, you want to show to God in the world that you're doing fine, but they can't do that. And Jesus chose the poorest family to represent him, and they gave the turtle doves. Oh, my gosh, they just bought turtle doves? What's wrong with him? Can't Joseph get a job? Like, get a second job. What's wrong with you, man? Get a loan or something. Their money changers are over there. Go work something out with them. Can't afford it. And yet, in our 21st century society, some of you even may dare think that because you don't have something in the banking account, in the bank account, that God doesn't love you. That's not scriptural. He chose this family with this financial background in this country, with these people, at this time, in that world, to represent him. And so it doesn't matter what's under the tree. It doesn't matter if there's nothing under the tree. He chose a poor family to represent him. And so he is circumcised on the eighth day. This offering fulfills the law. But wait, just in case you think he's just a regular poor child. Let's read now verses 25 through 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Imagine 
Imagine being so filled with the Holy Spirit that the Lord reveals this to you. And this man knows that this is the Lord's anointed. This is Christ the Lord. This is the Messiah, the salvation of mankind. And he holds the him in his arms. I want you to also to see something here because we take it for granted every Christmas. The sum of this man's life, the most important thing this man will ever do in his entire life is holding this child and knowing who he is. That's it. Doesn't matter if he was married, doesn't matter about his kids, doesn't matter what the legacy is, how much money's in the bank account, what his family is, none of it matters. The sum total of his life is going to be defined and I held the Messiah for one minute. But you and I have the Holy Spirit in our hearts as followers of Christ Jesus through his victory on the cross. Jesus says to us through the Holy Spirit, he no longer calls us servants, but friends. We have a relationship with the anointed one. We speak to him every day through prayer. The veil is torn. And this man, his, his whole life has been leading up to this one moment of spending one minute with Jesus. Incredible. I want you to see something else in this text. Where are they? They're in the temple. This whole temple in all of its millennia of existence is based on representing Jesus. And nobody knows who he is. The priests are just ambivalent. Okay, another child, another sacrifice. All right, let's keep this going. All right, we got another sheep, we got another goat, we got another offering, we got a heave offering, we got all these different offerings to do, sin offerings. Let's just keep it going. And they're just so busy working, they have no idea that the Messiah, that everything that they do, the robes that they wear, the tools that they use, the offerings that are given, the sheep that are offered, the temple pillars, the holy of holies, the table of showbread, the priesthood itself is all a representation of what's in their presence. And to them, it's just another task to check off. Yet one man in all of that crowd filled with the Holy Spirit, knows who Jesus is. And I want you to put yourself in one other person's shoes. Mary's got this child, this miracle child. Some random lunatic comes up to her and is like, can I hold him for a second? Oh, yeah, here you go. I don't know how that went. But she's already been visited by angels and shepherds and messengers. I, I don't know. And yet this man, he gets to hold baby Jesus for a minute. And now he prays to the Lord in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I'm ready to die because I've touched Jesus. Wow, how glorious. And yet, how humbling. The lowest offering is getting paid. I dare say in my imagination that people are looking at them and are scoffing at them. They're looking down on them. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you feel like you're being looked down on. Maybe you're being overlooked. You're not getting the respect you deserve. The Lord doesn't care about any of that. But the King of Kings gave himself as a ransom for many. He came to this world to confound the wise, to show us what really matters, your soul. You see, Jesus is, verse 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. That's you and me. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Amazing. And yet there you are, verse 33, Joseph and, and his mother, Mary, 
They're just marveling. They're just marveling. And I wonder what Joseph thought. I mean, as a father, I put myself in his shoes. I mean, I mean, this is the king of kings, and I just all I got is a couple turtle doves. I mean, what do I got? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not good at business. I'm not good at work. Everybody's looking down on me. They think I married some harlot because she got pregnant. We weren't married yet. Everybody knows. I mean, I can't even put this kid in a bassinet. I got to put him in a feeding trough. Why did God put me here? What, what is this? What is going on here? Maybe you feel the same way. But that's not what the Lord's looking at. He's looking upon your heart. See, the Bible tells us to obey is better than to sacrifice. The money you have, the presence you have, your health, your comfort, your home, none of it matters. None of it. It's all here today and gone tomorrow. But eternity with God is freely given to you by faith alone in Christ alone. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who deserves the greatest and grandest parades. He, he deserves the very best things that we can possibly give. And he doesn't want any of it. All he wants is our hearts. All he wants is for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he wants from us. He wants a sacrifice of praise from our lips. He wants us to read and pray and fellowship with him and to grow with him. He wants us to hurt with him. He wants us to suffer with him, to have joy with him, to experience life with him, and then to realize that this life is but a vapor and we're trying to hold on to the wrong things. And he shows us that by revealing himself as this child from the poorest family and the poorest part of the planet that's looked down on by everyone. And yet he is still our conquering hero, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I pray today as we celebrate Christmas that you celebrate the right parts of Christmas, that you enjoy your families and you enjoy your mealtimes and your fellowship with your friends. And if you're at home alone and you're suffering, I pray that you invite Jesus to the table. He'll be there. And you have joy in your hearts knowing that no matter what our circumstances, something far greater is happening. And something far greater has happened. Our salvation is found in Christ. We don't know what tomorrow brings. The scripture tells us today's problems are faithful to for today. But we lay them at the feet of Jesus and all we can cry out is Hosanna, Hosanna. Save now, save now. Lord, have your way with us.